Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, right, welcome to the Main Street Maps Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What's up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into player previews for Reggie Bullock, Josh Green, Frank Nitlikina, and Maxi Kleber. Mavericks training camp, or media day, rather. I guess training camp is more like a week away. Is in T-minus, I guess when you guys are listening to this, five days. Jaren. Has the NBA offseason gone faster or slower than you expected? Uh, definitely way faster. And I don't know what it is, but this last month has, like, hit double speed. And now we're we're, we're six or, I guess, five days away from media day. And I, I can definitely tell you that I can't wait. So It's almost like the less attentive and less engaged you are into the consuming of NBA knowledge, it just, like, blows by. So I would definitely agree with you on that standpoint. We will also be getting into Luca and Slovenia losing in the round of 16 in Eurobasket. This obviously happened like five or six days ago, but we have not put out a podcast since then. So we'll, we will be covering that as we are both on the hashtag me Slovenci uh, run. And we covered it here over at mainstream Mavs and it was a sad ending uh, for the Slovenian national team in Eurobasket. But Hey, um, I would be scared for, uh, 2024 Olympic Luga is all I'm going to say, but well, it's looking like the French team is going to be solid with, Oh with yes. ESPN's so. potential, potential lineup. Yeah. Uh, but Jaron, I have to preface that ESPN failed diligently. Well, not just in their top 100 rankings that they put out. Those were atrocious. Oh, those were atrocious. Yeah. But they also failed in projecting the French national team starting lineup. I think I think they put Joel Embiid in there because Cameroon is like owned by France or something, and I think he technically has like French citizenship. Well, he uh, that was a bit of a stretch though. I, I but what I was gonna say is that in that starting lineup, they had ESPN put three seven footers in that potential th- uh, French team yeah, they starting did. lineup, all god tier defensive centers. You know, theoretically, um, in Victor Wembanyama, Joel Embiid, and Rudy Gobert. And I just have to say, which out of those three guys, could any of them lock up Nikola Jokic better than Frank Nilekina? <laughs> no, that, without a doubt, no. Maybe maybe Wembenyama with that size, but Frank Nilekina just outbeats him on that. So I know. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, we did a podcast about a month ago, um, in our Josh Green versus Frank Nilekina comparison podcast, where. We analyze who is going to be a bigger role. I mean, who's going to have a more important role for the Mavericks this season and who taking the next step would be more important. And one of our listeners was very adamant that Frank Nitlikina, um Adamant. He's telling the truth, though. Yeah. Is- <laughs> and he, he even as much like DM me bringing up points um, and, and plays of Frank locking up Nikola Jokic. Um from Panda Hank's uh, 41's video on YouTube, but um, it, it was like a sort of, I don't. Lucky? Yeah, it was like a lucky <laughs> sort of defensive possession is what I would call it. But that's besides the point. We are glad to be back with you guys today. And we're going to be covering uh, Luca's end in Eurobasket, just kind of how Eurobasket ended up wrapping up. We'll just get a little into that. Willie Hernan Gomez. Or Hernan Go Mavs, should I say, as Locked On Mavs would say. And Bo Cruz. And um, ended up winning Eurobasket. Spain ended up winning Eurobasket. Juancho Hernan Gomez in tears as Willie ended up winning the MVP. It was a really cool moment to see. We'll get into that stuff a little bit, but we mainly want to focus on this on um, the player previews. We're going to try to knock out every player. We've only got Dwight Powell and Theo Pinson done. And that was, I think, two pods ago. I mean, not Dwight Powell and Theo Pinson, excuse me. Uh, Dwight Powell. And um, Tyler Dorsey done. So we're going to get every player done by training camp or by media day. I keep getting the two yeah. construed. <laughs> we're going to get every player done by then. Um, so you can look forward to that. We're going to be cranking these out in the next couple of days. 
till September 26th on Monday when media day starts. And we get all these juicy quotes about Christian Wood and why he's not starting from Jason Kidd. We're really looking forward to it here. But before we do that, here is an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaren, getting into it. Within, um, I believe, the, I guess, the quarterfinals or the last eight after um, Slovenia beat Belgium in the round of 16, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Luka and Slovenia lost 87 to 90 versus Poland um, to end their historic 2022 Eurobasket run, if or call it what you will. But what were your overall thoughts to the ending? Did it see, seem like Luka was playing um, through some pain there at the end of Eurobasket? And do you think that these are injuries that we may have to worry about as we head into training camp? Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I guess like in terms of Eurobasket, honestly, kind of a disappointing end. Just uh, it, it was kind of panning out to be a really, really, really good finish or at least top four teams. And, you know, uh, I think it was who, who went down first? Um, Greece. Greece, yeah. Greece went down first and then shortly after Slovenia. Um, but yeah, I mean, Luca battling through some injuries, definitely. And is this something that we're going to see translate into the season? And I, I think we're too close into training camp that it's not going to affect it a little bit, which is uh, he gets like a week, maybe a week and a half off. Um, and then training camp starts. And then from there on, it's, it's the season. Um, so I kind of, it's hard to believe that this won't at least affect a little bit, but then again, he's not going to be going, playoff effort every game in the regular season yeah but we have talked at length and at nauseum how essential the start of the season is for the Mavericks and how Luca playing at an MVP level is um, especially given this Mavericks roster with no uh, virtually no other outside ball creation barring Spencer Dinwiddie so I'm very intrigued and interested to see how this carries on to the season going forward it appeared as if Luca tweaked his ankle in like one of those late August friendly games, if I recall. And it seemed like it kind of just started to heat up and maybe got to a point where, you know, it's hard, harder to put weight on it and things of that nature. And see playing, playing through it took a toll. That's that's what I would surmise. I'm no doctor, but that's what it kind of seemed. It didn't seem like it was like a, you know, ankle sprain. Like there was like not like one place where he just like, you know had a significant ankle sprain like he has at times in his career. Yeah. And yeah, I know he was dealing with like a wrist problem. He just seemed like he may have tweaked it one or two times during Eurobasket. Um given that these are full intensity games, there's a little a lot more like confinement in the paint, you know, there's no defensive three second rules. So centers can stay in there as long as you want. That's inevitably going to read uh lead to like more guys stepping on each other's foot, uh, more contact in the lane. Um obviously a higher risk for injury. So should we be surprised? Uh, not necessarily, but it doesn't really seem like it's anything major. And, you know, media news reporting hasn't like led us to believe that's anything major. Luca played through it in this Poland game. He obviously had one of his, or, you know, one could argue his worst affair at Eurobasket, six turnovers on five for 15 shooting. Um, Vlako Konchar and Dragic, both at 21 and 17 points respectively, kind of kept Slovenia within this game and within striking distance, definitely against a, I think what we would agree is a lesser uh, Poland team in terms of the talent. Yeah. Possess. Um, but they were able to kind of keep this team within striking distance um, to at least give Slovenia a shot, but it just wasn't enough with Luka uh, just looking severely hampered, uh, particularly in the second half. So, it, it, it's yeah. a week and a half, two weeks enough to like subdue these ankle problems and this wrist problem. Like that's, that's the question. Um, because I think, like, I don't really know how this works, you know, like with training camp and everything, like, of course, you know, you're not going full five on five basketball to start out uh, training camp. So I think it's going to give them some time to recover a little bit. And then once we get into that full five on five and then eventually preseason and regular season, I think it should be all right by then. Um, but, you know, without a doubt, like I, I wouldn't be surprised to see little effects of this trickle over. Yeah. My main thing, uh, you know, so long as he's icing it and he's taking the necessary rehab precautions, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a thing that hampers him. And I expect him to be at 100%, especially heading into the season. Yeah. 
Yeah. Given that we still have at least about a month away. Um, but it is interesting to see how it affects them just from a body perspective. Um, there's a lot of times players tend to sometimes get out of shape while injured, um, you know, just not able to move as much and maybe you're ill-motivated at times. Um, Lucas shown a tendency to have a slow start when coming back from injuries to an extent, of course, um, just in terms of his explosiveness and his ability to take guys off the dribble and his conditioning. So I'm interested to see how it affects it from that perspective, but I do think it – I what leaves me optimistic is that, like you said, he has that buildup of preseason and training camp until the actual regular season when the, these things actually start to matter. So if we're still seeing the effects well into then and we see it, you know, during preseason, Lucas significantly hampered by these things, and that's when I would start to get, like, really concerned. But as of right now, I'm not too concerned, to be honest. Yeah, and with the media coverage surrounding it, like, it doesn't seem like it's really, quote-unquote, an injury. It just kind of seems more of a a hampering, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't even really know how you say it, but it, it doesn't seem like an injury where he's going to spend time out um, aside from this week-long break from what from what I can see. Yes, I would concur. But nonetheless, a bittersweet end to Eurobasket for Luke in Slovenia. Not the way they wanted to go out, but, you know, Luke has been on record saying that it means more to him to win a gold medal for Slovenia than it would to win an NBA championship, even with the Mavericks. So to see him accomplish that feat for his country, you know, obviously it's not the Olympics this year, but that would be really special. And I'm, I'm excited to see them get back at it in 2024. Yeah. Anyhow, with that being said, without further ado, we are going to move on to um, some player previews for today. So first off, we're going to be starting off with Frank Nitlikina. This is a guy who, you know, to an extent, played maybe above expectations, uh, whatever those expectations were coming into the 2021-22 season for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, This is also a guy that, in competition with Josh Green, has a chance to really elevate his role on this team. But, you know, is he really going to be able to seize that? Is he too far along the track in terms of being able to develop um, into a guy that can handle the ball a little bit, and which would, you know, drastically increase his production on the court and things of that nature? Is he a guy that can develop into a consistent 37 to 38% three-point shooter? I think he could do that. Is that going to be this year? You know, those are the things we're going to try to get into here. So, Frank Nitlikina, I just want to bring up a couple stats here, and I just want you to tell me, like, if these are something or nothing, like, from the perspective of, okay, is this going to be something that, you know. Carries over. Yeah, well, carries over consistently. Okay. Right. Is this something that um, is a skill set if he can develop a shot, something that could turn him into a key rotational player for the Mavericks? Okay, I like this so, through the first six games of the Mavericks versus Suns series, Frank Nitlikina, when guarding Devin Booker on 29 possessions on one-on-one matchups, this is just the first six games, not counting game seven. So I assume that stats probably even bode better than. Um, Frank Nitlikina, when guarding Devin Booker in one-on-one matchups, was um, he held Devin Booker to 16% shooting just from the field in those one-on-one matchups, yeah? Per 100 possessions, the Mavs defense was a a full 15 points better with Frank Nilekina on the floor in the Suns series in the first six games versus when he was out, with the Mavericks giving up 116.5 points per possession with Frank out, uh, 101.5 with him into the action. So given, you know, obviously a small sample size, but this was an essential playoff series where Frank sort of elevated himself above Josh Green because he just seemed more stable out there. And Josh Green was, he kind of proved himself to be a little too hectic in his first um, NBA playoff debut. We'll see how that pans out for him going forward, of course. But do you think that Frank could build upon this and grow into an elevated role with the Mavericks to where he is a um, key rotational, you know, three and D guy, uh, tertiary ball handle or anything like that? Or, like, where do you kind of see the cap on his game being 
uh, just given some, because I've seen a lot of increased hype um, in recent weeks on Mavs Twitter regarding Frank. Yeah, you know, it's those numbers that you mentioned. Um, you know, my, my thing is, is like, take it with a grain of salt. Like, yes, those are incredible numbers, but through six games, you know, you have to remember three of those games, the Mavericks got blown out in, and three of those games, the Mavericks blew the suns out. So how much of those numbers were up and then down, up and then down, like if you fluctuating um, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that you carry over into the regular season, especially for, though, uh, it's not fluctuating is holding Devin Booker to 16%. 16, yeah. That, yeah. You know, that one. Yeah. That one doesn't fluctuate at all. Um, the, and that's something I think Frank takes over into this 22 or 23 regular season. Uh and my thing is, is, like, he's getting an increased role by the sounds of it. It looks like he's going to have an increased role. Uh, and, you know, he, he's proved he's a defensive guard in the sense that he – I mean, the number shows he just locked up Devin Booker in that playoff series to 16% when guarding him one-on-one, of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the the questions definitely arise is what's, what's the offense going to bring you uh, in terms of Frank Nielakina? and that that's where the big question marks are uh, and you know like with this increased role and he now has i guess like a real unit on this bench i could i could see numbers definitely rising uh cuz numbers a little last, last year were a little lackluster um but then again you know how much of his minutes were consistent minutes and how much were playing every five games or whatever um so yeah, i think we'll see a little more consistency in terms of just all around play, but I don't know if we're going to see these eye popping what we need out of Frank Nielakina numbers. Yeah, no, I would concur. I think like where the marginal improvements lie um, is the consistency in shooting. I think he can yeah. definitely improve upon that. And you think he has the ability to do that. Um, I still think that, you know, given the minutes, if he can shoot, he's a very viable on ball defender. That's without a doubt. He's proven that in a highly intense playoff series, um, albeit in limited minutes, I still think he's the type of guard just given his build and the way that he plays defense, he can do that consistently throughout a 48 minute game, you know, whatever his minutes are provided, you know, it's just the question for me is, is he going to be able to develop into this ball handler that he was sort of coveted as coming out of France not even to the degree that, you know, he was as the number eight that we're all picking the 2017 NBA draft, but to the degree of, can he come run your offense for a couple minutes during a game, you know, him sticking in the NBA, sticking with this Dallas Mavericks team throughout that playoff series and proving that he does have a role in the NBA. That was a big step for him last year because, you know, coming in, he was a non-guaranteed contract. I mean, there were question marks as in regards to it as if he even deserved to, you know, be in the league. Yeah, his tenure with the Knicks. So, you know, last year was a sort of prove it year for him in a sense. And, you know, I feel like I feel like he uh, bounced back in a big way. It's just consistency in terms of shooting is uh, that big question mark. And if he can make that leap this year. Yeah, that and just, you know, finding a distinct role in the league. Yeah, it seems like he's very attuned to his role and that he's not really trying, you know, to be a playmaker in any sort of sense but should he like I mean is that a valid question like should Frank try to be a little more assertive on that side um you know he's typically seen more as a ball mover he doesn't really try to establish himself um in terms of taking guys off the dribble or anything like that but I'd be interested to at least see a couple possessions of it uh you know maybe I may not be too pleased may cause some brain havoc but I would be at least interested to see how that works out. Given that the Mavericks don't have another ball handler and we're five days away from media day, basically. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like they're going to have to do this by committee if they don't sign another person. That's just the nature of it. Um, regardless if we think that's the best option or not, which you know we could probably both agree that we clearly don't. It is the no, nature yeah. of things. And out of Jaden Hardy, Frank Nilakina and Josh Green, Frank might be the most viable option out of those guys to be that ball handler, but it's more of like, this year. yeah, this year, this year, at least. Um, but it's more so we just have to see how it pans out. And that's 
you know, I just got to see Jaden Hardy play more for those of you saying, yeah, oh, well, Jaden Hardy um, is much better handling the ball than Frank Nelikin. I mean, I would probably tend to agree with the statement. (laughs) Yeah, I would probably tend to agree with that statement, but, you know, I haven't seen him play against, you know, viable NBA competition on a big stage yet, even though he has, you know, obviously got some summer league runs. So we'll see how that goes going forward. And not to mention, Frank got hurt at the beginning of Eurobasket with France. And I think nobody's talking about this. His injury was never specified, nor was a timetable um, ever specified. But we all all knew that he was missing the uh, rest of Eurobasket. But we have no clue how this is going to affect him going into training camp. Are we going to find something out on media day? Um, Yeah, I was about to say. Regarding Frank not being able to play for a certain amount of time. Um, I have no clue. So I guess we'll just have to see how that pans out. But needless to say, I would definitely rank Frank as one of the, between him and Josh Green, as one of the two most essential players to the Mavericks team this year in terms of if this guy takes a step, that could bode very well for the Mavericks. Agreed. So do you have any more thoughts on um, Frank this year? Yeah, no, I've got a little question. Um, Let's say theoretically like Spencer or Luca goes down and let's say Frank's production is more consistent on the offensive level. Do you see any world where he can elevate into that starting role? Wow. That's a, that's a really bold take. Um, it, like consistency, like with consistency and injury. So um, from the defensive perspective, obviously um, it would take a huge leap um, in Frank's offensive game to elevate into that starting role. And I still don't really think, that you know he's a guy that I that I don't I just don't see any sort of world where he would be able to elevate into a guy that is any sort of primary playmaker. But I think if the Mavs wanted to, if they committed to this two ball and or play style, and Frank yeah. took a slight step offensively, you know, and one of Luke or Dinwiddie went down, and the Mavs were really committed to the two ball in or thing. I think the Mavericks first option, if one of those guys would get hurt, would to be to throw Christian Wood in the starting lineup. That's what I think, yeah. You know, commit to running some of their shot creation through him just as an uh, offensive threat, using him in the post, um, using him um, in the mid post area, finding ways to get him the ball, um, just letting him go to work. But – if they were really committed to that play style, I could maybe see a world that if, you know, obviously prefacing, if one of Luke or Dinwiddie was, you know, out with a significant injury, um, that Frank could start. But, you know, it would take a drastic leap and increase in play from him for that to happen. And I don't, like, think that he is on the precipice of doing that. But, you know, if Frank is able to develop – enough there is a world where i could see that yes okay i just figured out ask it so yeah no of course um so anyhow do you want to dive into reggie bullock or josh green first are you more intrigued Uh, let's go into josh green just because we already mentioned him a little bit okay what what are your thoughts on josh green heading into the 2022-23 season yeah you know um we definitely saw a level of josh green that we didn't see the previous year now, that may have been a mix of different coaching staffs and also just better play from Josh. But uh, definitely there is a little part that is kind of excited to see what he can do just because he had a spurt last year where he played pretty good basketball. Like, it, we, can, we, can, we can definitely say that. Um, now, I think consistency is his big thing. If he can consistently uh, play – decent basketball I think that he can definitely find a role as maybe not that first I, I guess I guess you got you gotta throw Tim Hardaway in there as that first like quote-unquote three and D guy um just wing yeah, I, we, we, yeah I think we're doing a disservice to us and Mavs fans if we label Tim Hardaway as the three and D guy that's why yeah the yeah, okay. I guess like, yeah the very very lacking d of that <laughs> equation right there but yes first wing off the bench I, I don't know about first but he would definitely be 
right after Tim Hardaway Jr. without like any hesitation. Because right now I feel like you're going in this season with hesitation on what does this bench look like after Tim Hardaway and Maxi Cl- Maxi Kluba. Um, uh, and Christian Wood, of course. As and, oh, Christian Wood, yeah. I guess, yeah, I forgot about him. Um, after those, this really like eight man roster, like what what is that? And you know, if Josh Green just raises and a consistent level of basketball, I think that definitely pushes the rotation uh, and eliminates a lot of those question marks. And that's that's what I hope to see out of Josh, of course. So I guess that's the big thing is just consistency. So what does a consistent level of basketball look like from Josh Green, in your opinion? Is that just him fitting in as this, you know, hyper-athletic, prototypical 3 and D player where he's able to run in transition, be a spot-up shooter, and, you know, be a little more deep, disciplined but still aggressive on defense? Or is that Josh Green, you know, still maintaining those defensive and um, – principles of course but you know showing a little more of his creation aspect um to his game in terms of his passing on the run um his sort of ability to ball move and you know his ability to like possibly even get to the rim for himself where does his offensive game his offensive game evolve like do you see it trending more in terms of a traditional three and d type player or is he, you know, this sort of like pseudo creator as the Mavericks coaching staff is sort of kind of like making him out to be like, as Greg, Greg St. Jean even kind of said in um, a Locked on Mavs interview um, and kind of over and iterated like over the Las Vegas summer workouts where Josh Green was at. Where do you think the next step in his offensive game is? Yeah, no, uh, I think he definitely trends toward the pseudo creator slash three and D kind of wing. So you think he's going to be a little bit of both is what you're saying. I, I think, yeah, I think you, a little bit of both. You know, you put the ball in his hands and you're at least comfortable enough that a possession or two can go through him and it'll at least be productive. Um, you know, just from a player progressing progression stand, uh, you know, you'd like to see development on the uh, ball handling and decision-making side, which he showed a lot of improvement last year. Um you know, just kind of heading towards this year as a player progression style, you know, that's that's what you want to see is just better decisions, maybe even more of that. Um, I think with what the Mavs coaching staff has expressed, I think we'll see a lot more of that. Um, and then just from an offensive perspective, like the guy that can stand in a corner um, and when a three is kicked out, it's it's confident enough that you're like, okay, like this isn't a total miss, but it's confident enough, you know, maybe he shoots 37%, 36% from three um, pretty confidently. And if we can get that out of Josh as like this ninth, eighth guy off the bench, like I, I think that's what we can I, – I think that would be like best in terms of his third year as a Maverick. No, I completely agree. And, you know, pointing towards the three-point shot, I think it's more – of a consistency thing for Josh because, you know, a lot of people, you know, would be remiss to find out that Josh Green shot 36% on threes last year. Yeah. yeah. It's more so that just, you know, it wasn't an insanely high volume and you could see that consistency severely doped down during the playoffs and just a, you know, sort of inconfidence and almost hitch in his shot when we got to the playoffs and the decision-making and the, you know, the ability to ball move and, you know, have these passes where he's swinging, catching it, swinging it to the corner. It just seemed like those sort of intangibles left him as he entered the playoffs, almost as if it was a mental thing. Now, you know, I think the big thing for him is if, you know, if he can shoot that percentage that he's shooting already on threes consistently, that's really the next step in his game, in my opinion. Um, and just sort of capitalizing upon the whatever playmaking and, you know, ball-moving suave he already has, um, it would be his best bet. I don't know if Josh Green's ever kind of a player that projects as a guy that's going to be able to handle the ball and run an offense, like even at a secondary ball handler 
level. I don't know if he ever projects to be that, you know, as, you know, I view Frank in that same vein, but I do think Josh has more to that side of him in a weird sort of only kind of Josh Greenway than Frank does, if that makes any sense. No, that yeah, that makes sense. You know, if we I, – like, I don't know if there is this kind of stat or graph out there, but if we could see a graph of last year in terms of just, like, total threes that Josh shot, like, it would be a very up-and-down um, graph. Like, we wouldn't see consistency anywhere. And so just from what you mentioned about consistency from three, like, yeah, he shot 36% from three, but how much of that is true 36%? How much of that is, like, inflated by – one good shooting stint and then a terrible shooting stint. Yeah, he he's definitely a hot and cold type of guy, but because you know he's trending like crazy, you know, knocking down a lot towards the end of the season and really filling it up against like lesser opponents. Like I remember like that Rockets game where I think Luca was out and he feasted, had like 18 points and showcased ability that we had really never seen from him. But is that going to be something that can we even get 50% of that on a consistent basis is really the big question for him. So, you know, between him and Frank, those are the two biggest question marks, in my opinion, going into the season. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, Jaren. So where do you think that Maxi Kleber projects in this 2022-23 season for the Dallas Mavericks? You know, he maybe takes a step back uh, down in the big man, big man rotation from essentially the you know, primary big man in those playoffs for the Mavericks and most essential big man for sure to possibly even like the third big man in the rotation. Do you think Maxi's role going forward on this team is going to be maximized in terms of the amount of minutes he may have now being lessened and the way in which he could be implemented and played? And do you think that he could be potentially expendable at some point as a trade piece if you know just given that if if need be to you know in a bigger package and a um just for the simple fact that you know he's definitely not by any means redundant but you know his skill set is reciprocated to an extent within christian wood and javel mcgee um so what are your um thoughts on Ma- uh, maxi heading into the season you know he just signed a contract extension of course with the mavericks for um three years, $33 million that will kick in in the 2023-24 season. So he's effectively a Maverick. Uh, he's under contract as a Maverick for four more years. He would be 34 at the end of that deal. Um, so what are your thoughts on Maxi heading into the season? Yeah, so last year, you know, uh, without the addition of Wood and JaVale McGee, I think there's an argument to be made that Maxi Kleber was probably the most important centerpiece on the on this roster. Um, and now, you know, you add Christian Wood, you add JaVale McGee. What, is, what does Maxi do now? Um, you know, he's clearly, I think, this third center off the bench um, and sort of like this lesser role. And, you know, usually a lesser role for guys, you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, they're going to drop down in value. They're going to drop down in production. I, I don't think this is the case for Maxi. Um you know, playing 59 games last year, I think that those numbers probably go up more to numbers with that he was having pre-bubble season, which is in the 70s. Um, just because, you know, he has a big load taken off of him. He's playing probably close to 20 minutes a game instead of 25, 30. Um, and really just stats-wise, I think we're going to see a lot more consistency. I don't think we're going to see quite like a huge drop-off in terms of a minute difference. Um or I guess like minutes per stats. Um, like I think it'll, his stats will stay relatively the same or like shooting percentages and everything like that. Um, and he's going to have a lesser role. It's like for Maxi in terms of this, like I think that this is probably the best thing for him in his career and just longevity. And you brought up the question, does this make him expendable? Does this make him a part of a bigger trade piece possibly? Um I, I think that depending on the Dwight Powell situation, I think it definitely could. Uh, but, you know, you're having this guy making $11 million a year coming off the bench and kind of a, not even really a redundant role, but kind of a redundant role. Um, I could definitely see him being at least included. I don't think he's really like the main trade piece here, but I could see him being included. 
No, I, I would completely agree. But yeah, by no means is Maxi's role redundant. Um, I think if anything, it's going to be like capitalized upon it within this lesser role, as we mentioned, you know, when Maxi's going against the Omar Yurt Savins and the Cody Zellers of the world, <laughs> um, that's going to bode a lot better for him, you know, versus like when he's having to play starting minutes against, you know, some of these top big men in the league, like these Robert Williams, these, you know, obviously I'm not comparing Robert Williams, but you know, just giving he's a really good center. Yeah. I would say Robert Williams or a Joel Embiid, things like that. Yeah. That's going to drastically, you know, decrease the workload that's taken on him, especially as he approaches, you know, his thirties, we can see how, you know, Maxie's athletic ability tends to be in and out sometimes, you know, he's clearly still a really good athlete, Um, but the defensive intensity seems to be sort of inconsistent just from the simple standpoint that, he is having to expel a lot of energy both on offense and defense every night. And it seems like, you know, obviously late in the season, he had that egregious shooting slump that you can attribute, you know, some to that injury that he had. Um, but also just from the standpoint that, you know, he wasn't getting his legs into a shot as much. And, you know, he was just kind of getting run into the dirt. Um, but, you know, with the Mavericks improving their center situation, um, you know, with Christian Wood and JaVale McGee, and, you know, even when Porzingis was on the team, he was, largely inconsistent in the games he was able to play. You know, these are two guys in JaVale and Christian that have never really missed large stretches of the games in their career. They're, they seem to be very competent injury-wise, um, stable forces in the big men rotation that, you know, barring something freakish or not going to miss a lot of games. So that gives me confidence that, you know, we'll see more of that spark plug maxi, a little more consistent of a maxi in terms of his ability to shoot rather than these crazy shooting slumps and these, you know, stretches of bad defense where he can't seem to move his feet for the life of him. I think, well, you know, we'll have obviously some games will be better than others, but I just don't think we're going to have these, you know, really low lows. You know, occasionally we may get those really high highs. Um, They may be few and far between, but I, I think we'll just see a more consistent maxi overall given his workload. And I think that's what excites me the most for his upcoming season. Um, And, you know, just being able to shoot better from three. I mean, I think with his shooting slump, you know, obviously he, he made up for it in the playoffs without a doubt, but Maxi shot, I almost want to say a career low from three last year. Um, He shot 32 and a half. Maxi shot 32 and a half percent from three, as Jaron mentioned. And he had not shot below that since his rookie year, where he shot 31.3% from three um, in the 2017-2018 season. So, um, yeah, I mean, Maxi hasn't played 70 games since uh, the bubble season, like you had mentioned. So, um, you know, he's only played in the 50s these last two years. He's been hampered by injuries. And, you know, maybe a lesser role where he's getting closer to 20 minutes a game um, you know, comparable to that 2018-2019 season. But playing more games would bode better for him, especially as he seems to kind of be in the prime of his career here and he wants to conserve himself, you know, a year or two. That's going to bode a lot better for him and his value going forward if the Mavericks do wish to include him in any sort of trade. If these rumors are true at all regarding the Mavericks wanting to make a midseason trade or a 2023 um, trade when – you know, that summer rolls around. Um, all this, you know, would point towards um, Maxi's role being lessened as being a positive, honestly, um, so long as he can still be a consistent producer. Yeah, no. Um, I got like a little question, another starting lineup question. Um, I think it's all well known. We don't really have a, <clears throat> have a clue of what this starting lineup is going to really look like outside of Jason Kidd's words. So, we know that the Mavericks and especially Jason Kidd kind of like to play with this starting lineup early in the season. Do you see any variation of the starting lineup where Maxi starts over guys over JaVale or Christian Wood? I think Maxi's a guy that, you know, given a, the right matchup, if, you know, that's a something I'm really interested to see how Jason Kidd responds to a media day is just sort of the fluidity of the starting lineup and how indefinite versus definite it is 
um, in terms of the start of the season, because it seems like the Mavs have like this definite starting lineup, but I just can't imagine that to be true. Like, wouldn't they want to evaluate the team, you know, come training camp? I don't see as, you know, you know, barring, you know, just trying to please different agents of players or they would have a definite starting lineup heading into the season right now, especially with the, you know, just the, the way the roster looks at the moment. But, yeah. you know, given that, I, you know, I could see some scenarios, you know, just matchup wise where I guess Maxi would um, need to start, you know, I wouldn't, I would definitely say they're like few and far between. I know a lot of people have thrown out the Timberwolves matchup, right. As you know, something that Christian would and JaVale would start together, but honestly, like why not Maxi and JaVale McGee? Cause that would, you know, bode well better for you defensively against those two dudes. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion. So, I mean, I think that's an option. Um, I could see some death lineups where Maxi's the lone big out there. Um, and, you know, starting, and then you bring JaVale. I mean, I don't know. That's really intriguing to me. But, you know, if JaVale is promised to be that starting center, then at face value, I think the Mavericks are going to want to keep two ball handlers and two wings out, just given that had the most success for them in their run to the Western Conference Finals. But I could be wrong. We'll have to see how it goes. That just seems to be the direction that they're trending at the moment. So I would say, you know, toward, at the start of the season, no. Um, but as things get into it, I mean, I think Maxie's definitely a, you know, cog in this rotation. He's an important part of this rotation. Yes. I wouldn't rule it out that there could be lineups that he could start in, you know, maybe with Christian Wood, provide more defense, make up for some of that. Who knows? Um, I wouldn't rule it out completely, no. But I, you know, given – I still think that, his role is going to be lessened regardless just because of JaVale and Christian Wood, even if it's, you know, just marginally. I think it could do wonders for him, even if it's just a few minutes a game. But that's just my personal yeah. opinion. No, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts on Maxi before we head into Reggie Bullock? Um, no. Like, I'm ready to move on to Reggie, so. All right. So where do you see Reggie um, projecting in this 2022-23 season? Um, if I'm looking at it here, let's see. Reggie Bullock. I believe he's going to be, I want to say, is he going to be 31 this year? Do I have uh, that right? Let's see. Yeah, he'll be 31 this year. Yeah, so Reggie will be um, 31 this season. Um so Reggie obviously had a rough start to the season um, in terms of shooting the ball last year, but the defense seemed largely consistent, you know, an established member of the Bang Bros, of course. And <laughs> he proved himself as a warrior, a guy who, you know, really came in and fought for this way, became a fan favorite last year, yeah. in my humble opinion. Um, you know, as the season uh, dragged along, you know, the defense seemed to always be there in some sort of manner, but – you know, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to produce eye-popping defensive stats or be some sort of defensive game-changer. But, I mean, his on-ball defense is really high-level, really attentive, really high-intensity. Um, I guess where do you see Reggie um, projecting, given, you know, he had a lot of streakiness last year. And, you know, before he got to the Mavericks, I always kind of remember him as a more consistent shooter. Yeah, maybe that's biased to me just from having not seen anything of him, um, or not seeing seeing enough of him before he came to the Mavericks. But you know, he had a particularly like rough start to the season last year, um, and that tanked his shooting numbers a little bit. Um, he only shot thirty six percent from three last year, but you know he's had seasons where he shot over forty percent, um, and there was a two year period where he where he shot, um, you know, thirty four thirty three percent. So what what is the thing for Reggie here in terms of, you know, his ability to, you know, stay in that starting lineup and be that consistent 3 and D wing next to Dorian Finney-Smith? You know, do you think if Reggie starts to slide a little bit in terms of his shooting like he did at the beginning of last season or goes through a drastic slump, do you think he's replaceable in the starting lineup or do you think his defense is too irreplaceable? Yeah, so – you know, I think to answer the starting lineup question right now, uh, if if Dorian Finney-Smith is in that starting lineup, I think Reggie Bullock's in that starting lineup. Uh, I think they're too good to not split up right now. 
especially after what we saw in the playoffs, really throughout the whole entire playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, as a duo for them, like, I think that's important to keep them together. But for Reggie, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's clear. He can't, he got off to a really, really rough start for his Maverick stint. And then definitely, um, definitely bounced back in a big way, especially in the playoffs. Uh, I think we're going to see a way more consistent, comfortable Reggie Bullock for this next upcoming 22-23 season. I think we're going to see better numbers. Uh, I, I think we're going to see similar like points per game, uh, like stats in that sense, but I think we're going to see much better shooting. Um, I think defense is probably going to stay somewhat similar, maybe even be better because now, you know, you have a full season of Dorian Finney-Smith, Dorian Finney-Smith and or I guess the Bing Bros, I can just say. Um, you have a full season of the Bing Bros together, and now you're going into season two. I think that defensive production gets better. Um, and then, like I said, you know, more consistency. I think those shooting numbers get way higher than they were last year. Um, and let, let's say, you know, Reggie does get off to a slow start. Is he replaceable? I, I think so. Um, I don't really know. Maybe if you want to pair JaVale McGee and Christian Wood together on the starting lineup, uh, you can kind of replace Reggie for Christian Wood in that sense. Um, but, you know, like, I think he is probably the most replaceable guy on this starting lineup if, you, if you're if you not swapping JaVale McGee for Christian Wood straight up. Uh, so it's going to be kind of interesting just to see how Jason Kidd plays with that because I think there's a lot of variations that you can do with the starting lineup. It's just very tough that this, like, duo between Finney Smith and Reggie Bullock is so like unique in the sense that like these two like actually play really, really well off each other. And it's going to be hard to break those two up. No, I completely agree. Um, just there. It's not even like them playing like with each other. It's just the way that they play through each other. And, how, yeah. you know, having two wings that can both shoot um, at the same time, of course, and spot up at different areas and how that affects the offense you know, um, uh, tangentially with two different ball handlers. That's what made that Mavericks offense so effective last year. Um, and, you know, like that's the case. We're ready to be in the starting lineup still. But, yeah, just consistency from shooting the three. Like we know Reggie's been in the league. We know what he's going to bring. Uh, same kind of thing with Maxi. It's just for both of them, it's just consistency. And I think another big thing for Reggie is one of Frank or Josh taking a step because – and for Dorian, too, because the Mavericks having another wing is just going to be so essential for Reggie and Dorian to not be ran completely into the dirt come playoff time. Because, you know, we can't – you know, they're they're going to be expected to carry a big load in terms of that 3 and D label for the Mavericks because they're essentially the only real 3 and D players the Mavericks have. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of Josh and Frank Green – oh, man, Frank Green. Um, <laughs> one of Josh Green and Frank Nilakina taking a step is – highly essential in my opinion to you know reggie you know being more consistent and not having to carry as much of a burden i don't know if that was the case as much last year maybe as it was just adjusting to a new team but you know i think you know there's a while there that reggie almost seemed expendable and like he was about to be traded but he just completely caught fire so i think just finding that equal medium of you know counteracting those four for 13, three-point shooting nights, um, you know, not having, you know, maybe a dud game every once in a while, but not none of those over nine games, you know, consistently that's where, you know, I would start to, you know, maybe be like, oh, maybe we should make an editation to the starting lineup. But I think, you know, the way he ended that Warrior series gives me hope that, you know, Reggie was just kind of adjusting to a new Maverick system, a you know, new play style with Jason Kidd that hadn't been implemented with this Mavericks team before. And I think, you know, now that he knows his role in the offense a little bit, I would expect those numbers to go up a little bit um, in terms of his three-point percentage. I think it will turn towards more towards 40%, if not uh, at or above 40%. And, you know, you know, he's 31. I still think he has a little more left in the tank in terms of that defensive production for another year or two of uh, being a high-level wing defender. So really excited to see how he, um, you know, produces going into um, the season. I think he's one of the constants of this Mavericks team. I think he's a guy who is, you know, 
a guy on this Mavericks team who you know what you're going to get out of him. You don't really have to question yeah. um, too much to an extent, so long as he's healthy, um, what exactly you're going to get out of him. And I think that's extremely valuable on a roster where, you know, the Mavericks really don't have too many of those guys. You know, you look at it maybe like Reggie Bullock, Dorian, Javale McGee, you know, so, sort of some of the only like names that we can really say, you know, we kind of like know what we're going to get out of those guys. I do think that that's really valuable. Do you have any other thoughts on Reggie Bullock before we uh, end the podcast? Honestly, uh, no. I mean, of course, you know, you hope he <clears throat> can continue that hot streak of the playoffs um, and keep it or continue it into the regular season, of course. But um, honestly, no, I think, you know, Reggie, like you said, like you mentioned a good point. You know what you're getting out of Reggie. That's a, a few – I guess it's a rare label on this Mavericks roster, but he's one of those guys that you definitely know what you're getting out of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, if uh, he can consistent, consistently shoot his, um, shoot the 40% three point mark um, throughout the season. And then, you know, of course having a duck game here and there, uh, you know, I think, I think that the really he's a lock for starting lineup, if not like six man, uh, if he becomes expendable in that sense of like rotation, but oh yeah, like I, I don't know, like there's just a lot of things that you can do. Um, I could see him coming off the bench realistically, but I could also realistically see him starting. Like it, it there's a lot of different things you can do with Reggie. So no, I definitely agree. And um, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. also being able to be consistent offensively is going to be huge for Reggie. You know, if both of those guys can be consistent from three this year, especially to start the season. That could also vastly change the um, where this Mavericks team is headed in terms of their um, record to start the season because, you know, both of those guys being in a slump at the start of the season definitely hampered the Mavericks a lot. Uh, but that being said, we will be back with play- more player previews tomorrow. I haven't quite ironed out who we um, got in there, but you know what? We're going to make an effort to put Tim Hardaway Jr. in one of them, so he'll be in there. Um, and we're going to maybe try to get two or three other guys, but we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening. If you listen this far on the podcast, we really appreciate you. Consider following us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Mavs. We're always active on there, tweeting, giving you guys our opinions and thoughts on everything that happens related to the Mavericks and the NBA. And Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban, of course, <laughs> um, our beloved owner. Um, and we are also um, on almost – any platform that you get podcasts on. So whatever you're listening on, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pitcast, make sure to subscribe to us and give us a five-star rating or whatever way there is to show your unbounding love and support to us. Just, you know, we would appreciate it if you really do enjoy us. And with that being said, if you have nothing else, Jaren, we will catch you guys tomorrow. Mm.